Psalm 127. Let me exhort you, if I may please, to be with us this evening, if at all possible. We would be glad for you to come and share in our Sunday evening service. If you haven't been here before, it would be a real delight to have you. And if you have been here, then just another opportunity for you to share in the service. But we would be glad in your presence for the evening service as we begin chapter number 8 of the book of Joshua. And Something a little bit special this evening, something that we don't normally do. And uh, I have uh, one of our folks who are sharing a word from their heart with you. And uh, we don't usually do that on a Sunday evening, but uh, this person will be sharing from their heart some things that uh, I just think will be a help to you. And uh, we'll come to the pulpit this evening and speak some things that I think you need to hear. And uh, I just believe it will be good for all of us to hear. So I hope you'll come this evening for the message for this word from the Lord, and, and then also the choruses and testimonies. In Psalm chapter 127, in verse number 1, the Bible says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early and to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. One of the great passages of Scripture that relates to family and for this month, I hope that you'll get acquainted with it and uh, this morning so that I can rest your fears. Uh, because if I were to tell you that I was preaching a three-point outline and in five minutes to twelve, I had not got to the second point, some of you would die of cardiac arrest right where you sit. So to uh, simply divert that problem, let me tell you in advance that uh, I will only get through point one of the three-point outline, okay? So now you feel better, okay? Just rest. But let me give you the outline now so you'll see where we're going. First off, I'll show you, and hopefully you'll comprehend to the depths of your own soul, the seriousness of which most families uh, are, even at this hour, that uh, are in Bible-believing churches or not. The seriousness of the difficulties many face is gotten to a point of crisis proportion now. Uh, and for that reason, I believe that the devil himself, I believe the society at large, and I believe pagans, to a large degree, have uh, really had an impact on us that they should not have had. And we allowed it. We somehow didn't put up our defenses. And so consequently, when I use the pronoun they, I hope you'll understand I'm incorporating all of that. So the outline simply goes, they perverted the formation of the home. They perverted the foundation of the home. And they perverted the fruition of the home, which will relate to the fruit of it. All that's going to come from Psalm 127, and I'll explain myself as we go, but let me uh, uh, point out to you, first off, the first point of which we'll deal, and that is that they perverted the formation of the home. The thing that uh, I guess over the last few weeks as I began to wait upon the Lord and pray and seek His face and study concerning this message, I was made more aware than ever that the distinctively Christian home, and that's talking about a distinctively committed Christian home, not just where there's some Christians present, but where the home is a committed Christian home, where, where God's Word is held up with, with due respect. Uh, 
and where the Word of God is actually intended to be and an effort is put forth to practice what God's Word says is quickly disappearing. There's just no way, other way to say it. It's just, it is simply passing off the scene. Now, we have many homes where there are people within them who profess to know the Lord whose families don't show any distinction than any other family on the face of the earth. And there are a multitude of those. May I say to you that that's no surprise to me that that's happening once I read some of what I'm about to read to you. You can label this as government at work if you want to. This is simply a, uh, to tell you a little bit of the laying of the groundwork for why we are where we are and yet not giving an excuse. There's other reasons that the Bible gives and we'll give those. But listen carefully to this. Uh, this was the, sort of the chronological happening over the past year or so that focus on the family recorded, I, I think, a few months ago. It records like in June of the 14th, of 1993, avowed feminist and ACLU activist Ruth Bader Ginsburg was appointed to be the Associate Justice on the Supreme Court. Based on a report she co-authored and on her previous decisions, these are some of the positions she has expressed in the past. Number one, the traditional family concept of a husband and a bre as a breadwinner and a wife as a homemaker uh, must, that's her words, must be eliminated from our society. Number two, the federal government must provide comprehensive child care. Number three, homestead laws must give twice as much benefit to the couples who live apart from each other as to husband and wives who live together. Must. In the military, women must be drafted when men are drafted, and women must be assigned to combat duty. Number five, affirmative action must be applied to equalize the number of men and women in the armed forces. The age of consent for sexual acts must be lowered to the age of 12. Not should, must be. This is an absolute. She says, number seven, prostitution must be legalized. She says, and she wrote in a decision, prostitution as a consensual act between adults is arguably within the zone of privacy protected within the Constitution, and therefore we must legalize it. Number eight, all boys and all girl organizations must be sexually integrated, as must all fraternities and sororities of the liver. Sororities. Uh, the Boy Scouts and the Girl Scouts must change their names and their purposes to become sex-integrated. Now, that happened June the 4th when she was nominated. You move on down June the 19th, President Clinton sent a letter to John Larimore of the Gay and Lesbian Information Bureau. Excerpts from that letter, quote, I want to extend my appreciation to the many members of the Gay and Lesbian Information Bureau who selflessly given themselves their time to support my administration, end quote. Another quote, the response... We received to our request for help has been remarkable. All of you who joined our ranks are making a real contribution to the future of this nation. Mm -hmm. June 26, President Clinton named Christine Gebbe, a lesbian, as the new AIDS czar. Four months later, she spelled out her perception on, on traditional morality. She said, quote, The United States needs to view human sexuality as essentially important and pleasurable thing. Until it does, we will continue to be repressed. Victorian society misrepresented information, denying sexuality early, denies homosexual tendencies, particularly in our teenagers, and leaves people abandoned with no place to go. I can help just a little bit in my job standing on the White House lawn talking about sex with no lightning striking me should tell you something. November the 1st, latest U.S. Census Bureau figures were revealed. 3.2 million American children live with their grandparents. 40% increase from a decade ago. November the 1st, in Time, Time Magazine article, reporter Jill Smotlow editorialized sarcastically that when conservative Christians try to be involved in their children's education, 
They only impede teachers' work and tie up meetings with arguments. We have no place for them in our society. Late December, finally, President Clinton began stressing the importance of family values as he drew to the, to the close of another year. In an interview with Tom Brokaw on December the 3rd, he expressed agreement with Dan Quayle's Murphy Brown speech extolling the virtues of healthy two-parent families. It is hoped that this emphasis will be translated into genuine change of direction for his administration. To date, however, none of this liberal policies have been described uh, or have been described as having helped and reversed any of his other repudiated statements or positions. It appears that we will end the year as we started it. It appears we're witnessing symbolism rather than substance. I simply say to you that in reading that, I have no pleasure in it. I, I rather get nauseated every time I do it, but I read it at this point and this time in this message to make a point. And that is, if you haven't learned it by now, you surely will learn it by the end of this message that there is no hope coming out of Washington for families. There is no hope coming from our nation's capital for families. Our nation's capital obviously makes it very clear family living in the home and proper marriages is not high on their agenda. There's just nothing in it that they're interested in. And I might add, you who read your Bibles and you read passages like, let's say, Psalm 121 and verse 1, I will lift up mine eyes into the hills from whence cometh my help. Let me tell you that in the hill, in the word hills, it's not capital hill. It is not referring to some place that is going to be our federal head, and out of that place comes everything we need to operate and function as human beings. That's not true. For instance, in that passage of Scripture, the word hills is obviously referring to the hill on which Jerusalem sat, where the temple sat, where the leaders went to pray and seek God's face. That's why the families in the Old Testament were as strong and sturdy as they were. If we had leaders in Washington who every day were to go into a sacred place to meet God and fall on their faces before Him, I'll guarantee you our families in America would not be under siege as they are right now. If our leaders would do what the leaders of Jerusalem's people did, the Israelites did, in going up to Jerusalem and meeting at that temple... You see, I know times are changing, and I accept the changes, and I recognize that there is, in some cases, and in most cases, nothing I can do about that. I read this this last week in the latest edition of the Reader's Digest. If we'd read this years ago, you'd not understand this joke. Just a few years ago, you'd not relate to this. This shows you how quickly things are changing. It's under the section of um, something to smile about or whatever. It says, quote, driving tip. If you rear-end a car on the freeway, your first move should be to hang up the phone. Now, Randy can relate to that. I don't know if any of the rest of you have a car or phone or not, but Randy can relate to that. But a few years ago, if I might have read that to my dad, my dad looked and says, what does that mean? Because there weren't any car phones to speak of. Then, but now there are, and there are more rear-ends on freeways too, I might add. And on US 31, three days ago, a car was rear-ended at 44 and something for a guy was on the phone. And when he got off, he was just like, let me say this to you. I know times are changing. I don't have a problem with change that way. But I do have a problem when the changes is taking us into the unknown settings of which the Lord has already warned and we keep going in that direction. Let me point out to you some things from the passage of Scripture that's before us. And I want this to ring in your heart as you leave the building today. Accept the Lord. Build your home. You're wasting your time. Accept the Lord. Build your home. You're wasting your time. It was like when I was in school, there was this little thing that they always put on a bulletin board. It says, drop out now and avoid the June rush. 
Let me tell you this. Unless the Lord is building your home, you just as well now to file up and sign up for dissolving of your marriage because ultimately the odds are now greater than ever that unless you know the Lord, it'll never work. It'll never fly. And this verse of Scripture in Psalm 127, verse 1, except the Lord build the house, we'll say, except the Lord build the home, you're wasting your time. I hope that you will let that get deep, deep into your soul. I say this to you. I remind you of something I said last week, and I don't want you to forget it. And that is that you don't break God's laws. Nobody ever has, and nobody ever will break God's laws. People get broken on God's laws. He has set certain things in His Word, and one of them is Psalm 127, verse 1. And He simply said, this is, this is a fact, this is a law, this is a principle, this is a precept. Now, you can try to break it, and you can try to say, well, I'm a smart, intelligent person, I have a degree from the university, and I happen to study family orientation. I, in fact, I know family administration. I have studied that thing upside down. I know how a family operates. And I want you to know, Pastor, that I believe I can make my family a success. I'm here to tell you, God would look you straight into the eyes and say to you, except I build it, it won't get done right. Now, you may get existence, and you may get something that will pass off in a pagan society as a family, but God is saying, you won't have what I'm talking about. Because unless I build it, it will not be a Christian family. It will not be a Christian home. So there's no need for you and I to start searching somewhere else to find a, another answer or a, another description or a, another plan or a, another design because God says the only one that will work will be this one. Now let me say this to you and I'm not cutting it and I'm not throwing arrows and I'm not swinging swords, okay? Some of you folks sit in this building today with homes broken because you violated God's word. And I don't have to go anywhere else than to get you to stand up where you sit and say, you're absolutely right. You don't break God's law, it'll break you. Because some of you have done that. Some of you right now have the scars on your marriages and the scars on your life because you tried to run a miss of God's word. Now let me tell you something, and let's just be honest with each other. You can't do that. Some of your kids, of those of you who have children, are not in church this morning. And if I were to walk the pulpit and say, it is now 1135, do you know where your children are? Some of you say, I have no idea in the world. They ought to be in church somewhere. And you know, if we just reach our own kids, New Life Baptist Church would have already had to build a second building the same size as this one. Just if we had our kids here this morning. If everyone who has children had those children in a Bible-believing church this morning, that's all we have to do. You know, there wouldn't be any great need to make a rush on evangelism to reach everybody in the world if our Christian homes would just reach their families. We fail there, so it's no wonder we failed in every other place. Let me say this to you, and this is one of those kind of things you hate to say, but it's a fact and you just can't not get around it. We knew it when we did it, and we did it anyway. I've had people in this church come to me and say, you know, I knew when I did what I did. I knew how I was doing. I didn't go to church the way I should. I didn't read the Bible the way I should have. And, and, and I knew then what was going to happen. But I kept saying, maybe, maybe it won't happen. Maybe I can get around. Maybe something will change. Maybe my kids will somehow accidentally turn out right. And may I say, sometimes the grace of God is that accident that you refer to. God's grace reaches down into some homes and, and takes a family, children if you please, out of a broken home. And God speaks to the heart of the child and brings that child to know himself. Years ago, there was a young girl in our church in Ohio. She rode our bus back and forth to church every Sunday morning. And uh, her, 
her name was Diane, and she, she was just so faithful, her and her sister Judy. And Judy uh, uh, and her were, I think, as fine a young lady as I'd ever met. They both of them professed faith in Jesus Christ and riding their bus into the services. And they were just sweet, gracious young ladies. And, and I remember a time that it came to a point where the, the girls, Diane the older and Judy the younger, I remember the day that they began to make their choices. And I remember Diane began to, to sort of get away from the things of the Lord. And I went to talk with her and I remember her saying, my mother and dad don't care. They don't care if I come to church or not. And I'm just tired of fighting it myself. I'm tired of getting up on Sunday morning and explaining that I want to go to church. And mom and dad say, oh, don't you have anything better to do? Can't you, uh, don't you think you ought to do the dishes and clean up the house? And, and what about this and what? And she said, I'm just tired of doing it. I'm not going to come back anymore. And I remember her sister saying, well, I'm coming. It won't surprise you to know that Diane got married and Diane got divorced in just a very short while. And it won't surprise you to know that Judy stayed by the stuff and to this day is married and lives in Ocala, Florida with a fine family serving the Lord. won't surprise you, will it? But it won't help you know any better that that mom and dad who discouraged those children will probably answer to God for the broken home of the other girl that never got that far. Now let me tell you something, parents. You must understand that the children in your home are someday going to be the husbands and wives of somebody else. You owe a debt of gratitude to God Almighty by showing up and teaching and training your children to be good spouses for another generation. If we don't, there won't be any such thing as marriage. A few years ago, in fact, over 40 years ago, a socialist, he was a social study director, if you want to call him that, a professor of sociology, really, at Harvard University. Over 40 years ago, here's what he wrote. He said, divorce and separations will increase until any profound difference between socially sanctioned marriage and illicit sex relationship disappears. He said further, the main social cultural function of the family will further decrease until the family becomes a mere incidental cohabitation of male and female while the home will be an overnight parking place. He wrote that over 40 years ago and he's almost on target. There's still just a little space of which we have not moved completely into an eclipse of that. But let me tell you, he is very close. And what's sad about it, he's very close to what happens in Bible-believing churches. It seems as if it doesn't matter if you're in church, you're out of church. It just seems as if we say to ourselves, it does not matter what God says. I'm just going to do this and here's how I'm going to run this situation with my relationship, whether in marriage or out of marriage. I'm just going to do it my way and let the chips fall where they will. Let me tell you something. Let me talk about the chips the chips will be the brokenness of your family and of your life if you do not do it God's way. I remind you, Psalm 127.1, except the Lord build a house. You're wasting your time. You're wasting your time. And this pagan society has not yet come to that. You know, I, I talk often now and more than I ever did before and more than I really enjoy doing, frankly, counsel people and marital circumstances especially. And over several months, I have talked to people and I have come to a conclusion. Rather humorous to me, but at the same time, it's a reality. I'm convinced that none of these people were married by the justice of the peace, but rather somebody said the secretary of war. I believe to me, honestly, every time I get to these people and we sit down across from each other, I cannot believe the, the conflict that has been with many marriages. And I guess I'd be surprised if I knew how much conflict they were in some marriages that people just keep to themselves. You know, if he only knew how close I came to killing him, he'd be, oh, he'd never sleep at night. You know, 
I mean, we sincere that, and we who have a solid, foundated marriage, we can laugh at that. Say, yeah, that's unbelievable. I, I can't believe what I said. But let me say, let me tell you something. There's some folks who say that and don't grin. There's some folks who say that if I could do something to him, I just, I'm so angry. Well, what did he do? 25 years ago. 25 years ago. Did you know that's the truth with a lot of marriages? I've sat in that office and I've asked people what the conflict was about. And before God, you know what some of them go back? Some of them go back 14, 15, 16, 18 years. And they just carried them in a satchel along with them. And everywhere they go, they carry this problem, this conflict. They never dealt with it and they don't intend to deal with it. It's comfortable in this hand and they'll carry it to their graves, this conflict in their marriage. And what's so bad about that is these marriages suffer day in and day out. And what's even worse, the children in those marriages suffer for generations to come because both parents are carrying this luggage of conflict that they've never dealt with. Let me tell you something. It's no joke. It is a sad thing in this country that we have not, and especially in our church community, have not learned that we must deal with conflicts in our relationships. You cannot cover them up with band-aids. They are like cancers. It will kill you before it cure you. And we have this tendency, oh, let's just cover it up. Let's don't talk about it. And, and, and may I say, I come from a family of men who don't talk about trouble. I love my dad. And if he were to listen to this tape, he'd have to say this is the absolute truth. My mother would get upset with my father. And he'd say, what? She'd say, now, LD. he said, what? Now, I'm not saying that he couldn't hear, but he heard a lot more than mother thought he could hear. And what he'd do is he'd just simply use that as a, and he'd wander off. He never said it. He just wouldn't fight. My dad got this idea, if you don't fight, It'll go away. If you don't, if you don't face up, just don't work. Hide it. Put it under the seat. Get it out of sight. It'll, it'll just vanish. It's like smoke. You know, it'll go away. Just turn on the fan. And my dad's way of turning on the fan was just walking out. So well, time and time again, not major conflicts. I was grateful. I was, was reared in a Christian home where we just never had that kind of thing. My, I never heard my father raise his voice to my mother. Never. Not one time. I heard my mother raise her voice to my father on a few occasions. And uh, that's when my dad would go into this, what? Attitude. And I learned that. Now, it's not that I can't hear that way now. My wife knows that. My wife knows that my hearing is bad. And so when I say to my wife, what would you say? It's not, don't you tell her anything else. Now, you call some marital conflict here, you go talking to my wife. But no, the thing is, we all have a mechanism. We do, you know. Some men bury themselves in work. We have men in our church who are workaholics. I mean, if things aren't right, it doesn't mean necessarily at home. It means anywhere there's a conflict. Our way to solve that thing is bury ourselves. And I say, that's not the answer. You'll never solve it by burying it. Because conflicts are like seeds. Somewhere they're going to start poking their head up through the ground. And you're going to have to deal with them. But now you're going to have to deal with more than one. It's just like planting one grain of corn, you're going to have 16 rows on each ear of grain to deal with when that thing comes up and produces itself. It just gets worse. And many of our marriages right this day are suffering from conflicts had back there that we never honestly dealt with. Now, I'm not up here promoting to make or to create or perpetuate a problem. I'm here to, to say you some answers. Now, first off, let me lay a little bit clearer, and I think this will help all of our younger people in the process. 
I think all this begins back with a, with a, a sobering consideration we should have had that we may have not. First off, a lot of marriage problems could have been solved if we'd have been more careful about our choices. Now, I know you men aren't going to shake your head. If I was sitting where you're sitting, I wouldn't either. But I know full well that if we had it to do over, we'd know some. Here's what we'd know. First off, we'd know what 2 Corinthians chapter number 6 says. And you know that passage probably well enough that you could quote a good portion. But let me, just in case you haven't, let me read a small portion of it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 14, it says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? And it goes on. Now, I submit to you that too many Christians violate that law of God, and uh, they think that they can still have a happy, holy, healthy home. Now, let me remind you of this. Except the Lord build a home, you're wasting your time. Now, that's one of the planks in the platform. If you don't go God's route, then I'll guarantee you, you're in for a big surprise. And how many young girls have come to me and have met a young man and have said, over the years of our ministry, have said to him, now look, Pastor, I know he is not a Christian, but he's a good guy. I like this guy. I mean, he is sharp. He is handsome. He's got everything going for him. He's got a good job. He's got a decent family back over here. Everything is just hunky-dory. And I know that I can get him to the Lord, but I need to get him to the altar first. Now, would you marry us? No. Well, that's right. I wouldn't touch that with a hundred-foot pole. You know why? Because God said, don't touch it with a hundred-foot pole. God said, no, sir. Don't you unequally yoke yourself together with any unbeliever. Now, let me take it a step further and I think clarify something. You'll never marry them if you don't date them. So, young people, I wouldn't date an unbeliever. Why? The Bible doesn't say, don't date unbelievers. What it does say is this. If you're going to do something that's going to lead to something else that God did say, you better watch out for the first stage. And the first stage is don't date them unless you're going to marry them. Now, I don't mean that everybody you marry, you're going to, you, you end up marrying. I'm not even suggesting that, that the first guy you do give the application, say, look it over and fill it out if you're interested in marrying me. I'm not even saying that. What I am saying is this. If this guy's not a candidate, I wouldn't even think about it. Because too many people have made a date had that first one, some things come up, and next thing you know, stuck for the rest of our lives, or at least they thought they were. Now, I think radically. I'm not known for my traditional centerline approach. Now, you listen to me and listen carefully, especially our young people. If you ever come to me and you say, Pastor, uh, I want to say this, I'm embarrassed to tell you, but I'm expecting, and I'm not married. But I do have this young man that is the father of my child and, and I, I want to marry him. Now I want to be kind to you and I want to be gracious, but I want you to be forewarned. Just getting married is not the answer to your problem. You can pick up a man to marry and they're a dime a dozen in certain places. It's not marriage that's going to solve your problem. And just, Oh, but just give this child a father. That's not all that child needed and all he's not all he's going to need. I'm amazed at the world's simplicity of answers to complicated questions. You see, we, we somehow violate God's rules, violate God's law, and then give simplistic answers to solve the problem. That won't cut it. That won't cut it. 
But let me tell you something. You can save yourself and myself and the whole church a lot of problems and a lot of complications and a lot of crises if you'll understand this simple principle written in black and white in your Bible. Be ye not unequally yoked with unbelievers. If a person does not know Jesus Christ as Savior and show evidence of the same, you ought to leave it alone, period. And a lot of families in this church and every other church would have a long time ago had a lot less problem if we had obeyed that command of God. But we saw in these people something and we wanted desperately to get them down an aisle and so we did what it took. Some people pay the price. You listen to this letter. This is a young, this is a young lady writing this letter. She lives in Iowa. It says, quote, Living together, what's a parent to do? Stuck a raw nerve with me. That was the title of an article she had read. She said, I wish I could tell every young adult in America that you truly will reap what you sow. Cohabitation may seem wonderful initially. Sin is also deceiving. But eventually, it creates more problems than you can ever imagine. I lived with my boyfriend for two years before we got married. I knew I was breaking my parents' heart as well as my Heavenly Father's heart. My boyfriend was not a Christian, but I figured I could change him if we moved in together. Famous last words of the Alamo, right? And he says, This is yours and this is mine mentality that enabled us to successfully live together completely unraveled once we got married. We had become too separate and too selfish, making it nearly impossible to become one flesh again. The honeymoon was over before the wedding day ever arrived. Somehow, we have remained married for nine difficult years. My husband is still not a Christian. Young people, listen up. Don't rush into physical intimacy thinking friendship will follow. It won't keep yourself pure. That's a wise lady who wrote that. But it's a wise, scarred young lady who wrote that. And there's no reason for that. There's no need of us creating another generation of scarred young people. We don't need to. What we need is a generation of young people that when God speaks, they listen and then they obey. If our young people will take God at His Word and understand that God means exactly what He says, we won't have this problem again. But unless we begin to take God seriously at what He says, we're going to keep popping out children with scarred lives just like they pop out pills in factories. And we're going to have to come to grips with it. There's no use, there's no use of us thinking that the church is going to have all these answers. There's only one answer, and that's obedience to Christ. If you fail at that, you're going to fall all the rest of them. And everything else beyond that is going to fall apart. One thing I've read, and I'm sure you've read it often, it's this thing of, of us having our, our marriages and, and wondering how that people come together. Let me, let me give you this little scenario. First off, we have these two parents who don't happen to be very good disciplinarians. And I mean by that, they pretty well let the kid run the house. They, you know, the parents don't say, you do this, you do that. The parents say, yes, yes, I'll, I'll get that for you. Yes, I'll, I'll go. You sit there, I'll go do that. Yes, you just sit there, I'll go. And the parent runs their legs off serving these children. And, and a child grows up wanting everybody else to serve and, and so the child not only grows up wanting everybody else to serve them, but the child grows up very self-centered. And then one day he goes out and meets this girl and he harasses her at first and makes her mad and angry. And finally she gets on to this guy and says, you know, I think I kind of like this guy. I don't, I don't know what him I like right now, but I, I, could, I could see us spending some time together. So they start dating, this young lady and this young boy. And they start dating. They get more serious and more serious. And probably in the time there's going to be conflict even at that. But they'll pass that off assuming that's what happens in every relationship. And so the time comes that he or she, maybe she in this day and age, will say to him, would you marry me? He'd say, well, 
Okay, I guess. And so they're married. Then they come around and it's time to go pick out a place to live. They go pick out a place to live. And here you have this young boy who came from this undisciplined home and he's self-centered, he is self-fulfilling, and he has no interest in anybody else in the world except himself. And so he's in this house and here's this girl who came from a home where she neither was properly disciplined and she has this large looming will of her own. And so they put him inside this apartment and as I believe as Dr. Adrian Rogers used to say, there's not an apartment in the world big enough for two wheels. And it doesn't take long until these two wheels that come from these two different kingdoms to start all kind of conflict. And the next thing you know, they have this one simple answer. The state gave it to them. Hey, I'll just divorce you. Now take that home and chew on it. And their answer is that the other one then is not able, capable, knowledgeable, or up on things enough to say, well, no, wait a minute, let's sit down and talk about this. No, the will gets in the way again, and they're not about to look weak or inefficient. And so they say, I'll take you for everything you got. And when you come to court, you better be ready to shut it out because I'm going to get... And here we go to court, and we go down there, and court's a joke. Court's a joke for divorce. You are... If you go to a divorce court, you are absolutely going to get ripped. Now... And let me tell you another secret, by the way. I would like to be a judge, and I believe I have every right in the world to be one. If there comes a blank spot on the ballot, I think I will apply. Because I happen to be personally involved in some divorce cases where the people have gone to court. I have gone with them to court. And you know what? And this is not unusual. They never see a judge. You know what? You know what court really is? It is two lawyers over at Don and Donna's drinking coffee and negotiating what I'll give if you'll give me this from your client. It's like a chess game. And you know who pays for the chess game and the coffee? <clears throat> the nuts who go in there and pay them out money to divorce them. Now let me tell you something. You think that's what God wrote in His Word and said, this is the best plan we've got, this will work, this will... Let me tell you what God said. God says that, that you are made up of body, soul, and a spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5, what, 23 says that. Your whole body, soul, and spirit. Every human being born into the world has a body, a soul, and a spirit. Book of Mark chapter number 10 verses 7 through 9 tells us that a man was to leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they too be one flesh. Body, soul, and spirit. Now get this and get it good. Your body gives you a sensitivity to the people around you. Your soul gives you a consciousness of yourself, your ego, and all that's there. Your spirit gives you a potential consciousness of God Himself. When you got married, you were supposed to be married to your mate, body, soul, and spirit. The reason a lot of marriages fail is because one of those departments did not get satisfied. If I had a dollar for every woman who ever told me in a counseling session, my husband won't talk to me, I would be rich enough now, I'd buy all of your lunch. He just won't talk to me. What is that? That's his soul that's not interested in that. He hasn't joined his soul. He's, he's just himself. And his himself is, he doesn't reveal himself. He didn't want to talk about what he feels. He, he feels that may be inadequate or weak or, or somehow he just doesn't want to get into that. And so a woman gets frustrated because this man won't tell what's in his soul. Let me tell you about that man. If you sit here this morning and you won't talk to your wife about what you are and your innermost being, you have never been married to your wife in your soul. And if you're the person who say, well, we have a good sexual relationship, well, that's not unusual because a lot of folks get bodily joined together. 
But there's a whole lot that never gets spirit and soul born together. There are people in this room right here. You're married to a mate and your husband has no spiritual interest. Your wife has no spiritual interest. And so if you're saved and they're not, you're not spiritually joined together. No wonder your marriage is going to fall apart. You see, God in His Word has set it forth very clearly. My body, my soul, my spirit is to be joined to my wife. And I love my wife with my body, my soul, and my spirit. And our relationship is based upon that correlation. And if you don't have that, Whatever it is that's not working in body, soul, or spirit, that will be the culprit that will break down your relationship ultimately. And someday you too will go to the monkey court and try to get somebody to stamp a piece of paper that says it's no longer valid. You're not married. And I remind you, let every man beware that what God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. Those are solemn words, and we've sort of weakened them by our, our liberal, pagan, everything goes society, but God still said them. What God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. And I know why he said that now after I've made a few visits to the court. I know full well. It's a joke. And it's almost like the courts laugh at God and say, well, who is God? I mean, these folks are incompatible. This won't work. You know why it's incompatible? Because we got two wills that won't yield. We've got two stubborn kingdoms that says, I'm not giving an inch on my side. And if you don't give an inch on your side and I don't give an inch on my side, let's just go down to the court and let them stamp the papers and get divorced. Oh, let me tell you, you know what it is. What tears our homes up is the sin that's in our hearts. You don't deal with it, it'll ultimately break your home. And you see, I say to you, we are obviously different from women as men in our bodies. I mean, we're obvious. Women look pretty men look best we can under the conditions right the thing is that you have bodies they're obviously different it's the soul though the soul ah oh, that's what you really are that's who you are men are by and large in that department we're uh, we're basically logical rational beings we go to Walmart with a list we go in five minutes we're out you give a woman the same list, she'll be in five hours, 23 minutes, and she'll come out with better bargains and save the quarter. That's the way we are. That's what we say about women, that they are basically emotional beings. That's the soul part of them. They're emotional beings. That's why I said to our Sunday school class a few weeks back, I said, that's why a woman can cry when she's happy, cry when she's sad, cry when she's mad, cry when she's excited, cry, cry when everything's going great, cry when everything's going bad, or she can cry for any reason she chooses. Why? Because that's the way God made them. And God said, there ain't a thing in the world on that, that's just the way they are, and I want you to love them just the way they are and accept them just that way, but that God's saying, I want you to understand, that means they're different. Now listen to this, please, because this is going to sound like a foreign language, but this is the absolute truth. God in His Word has continuously tried to get us to understand that we are different. And the world has constantly been trying to tell you that men and women are alike. Now let me tell you something. The more society attempts to change men and women to be alike, to be treated alike, the more marriages will break up. You mark my word. You know why? Because when we're different, we accept our differences and know God in His wisdom put us together this way so my wife's strengths 
can help my weaknesses and my strengths can help her weaknesses and we're joined together to be a blessing to one another. We can be. And we are. But if all of a sudden I began or someone else begins to exalt, you don't have any weaknesses. That's that numb cluck husband of yours. He's just trying to sell you on this thing so you lean on him. You don't need this guy. He is dead weight from day one. You can do much, much better. And so she goes to work or wherever and she meets this boss who is sharp and debonair. I mean, this guy has got the world on a platter. And she hears this and she keeps it. And she looks at this guy and he's on the ball and on the stick and he's making a mark. And she thinks she's got to go home to what she's got to go home to. Woo! She says to herself, You know, I can do that. I can make it on my own. I don't need this thing. And so the world puts within her heart a holy dissatisfaction for what she had. And consequently, that little scenario turns out to be it just simply changes from what God ordained. God ordained that a husband and wife complement each other. And since Billie Jean King and Bobby Riggs played a tennis match years ago, the world has tried to get us to compete. Try to get us to compete. When you start competing, I'll guarantee you, your marriage is already got a strike against you. There is no room in a marriage for competition. No room. No room. And that's why what God has written in His Word is so vital. Except the Lord build a house. And every detail, by the way, the sameness, the likeness issue, women, Men, distinctively different in all their person, all their being. That's exactly why. Now listen carefully. Why homosexual marriages will never last. I don't care if the law says from here on in we're going to sanction them, we're going to legalize them, let the government become foolish. Let them turn into the monkey. I'll guarantee you, on the authority of God's Word, they'll never work. Because God in His Word has set forth clearly that it's our distinctive differences that make the possibility of marriage working. And I say to you, you being different from your spouse is not some fluke of nature. It's, it's God's vast will. It's God's divine design. And if you follow that, accept that, and live upon that, then I'll tell you that the Lord will richly bless it. Now listen, let me close with these few points. Let me say this to you, and this is an important point for every man and woman in this room. When God created man and woman back there in Genesis and he said uh, it was his will that man then should leave father and mother and cleave unto his wife and we'll detail those a little later. But just before that, after God had created Adam and Adam was working and doing the job that God had called him to do, he was God's gardener for all practical purposes. He was doing a job that had never been done before. It was an interesting environment. It was a perfect environment. Everything was right. There was nothing wrong at that stage of the game. So consequently... What happens is God walks up one day and looks at Adam. And he said, it is not good. First time God had said that word, that phrase. First time he'd mentioned, it's not good. Always before, it is good. It is good. It is good. God saw that and it was good. God saw that, it's good. And he comes up to Adam one day and he looks at him and he says, it's not good. Everybody I'm sure who was even the angels of heaven were looking down and they said, what's not good? Perfect environment. Perfect animal. I mean, everything is hunky-dory. Lives in the Garden of Eden. Everything is just luscious fruit. I mean, what could be imperfect about this? God looked at man and said, It is not good that man be alone. It is not good. And so God, from that very moment, began to 
designed Eve, who would be Adam's wife. And he did it. He took a, a, a holy anesthetic, put Adam to sleep, and when Adam went to sleep, when he woke up, and I tell people all the time this, and they say, honest truth, you know why men don't understand women? <laughs> because men were asleep when she was made. I mean, how can we expect to know her? Now, if I'd have sat there and watched what he did, I could believe I could understand my wife. But God put Adam out, and then he made Eve out of that. And then Adam walks up and says, what is this? I say, in the Scripture, says, what is this? What in the world have you done, God? God says, this is Eve. Now, I would have liked to have been awake during that. I'd like to know what how it was made, see? Then you can appreciate it. We don't know how she are. And so, man, ladies, don't get upset with us when we don't understand how you feel. Just understand we were asleep when this thing was going on. Now, here's the other point. There was nothing wrong at that point. One of the fascinating, and I'm not trying to be crude, I'm trying to be honest. One of the fascinating things about it was that when Eve was there, the Bible says specifically, under holy inspiration of God, they both were naked and they were not ashamed. That's a precious text of Scripture. Let me tell you why. Because there was no sin in the world. That's a point of innocence and, and purity and holiness. And God said there's no sin, and so their thoughts toward each other are pure, clean, and holy. There's no wickedness there. And everything was right, and it's amazing. God made the woman to be a helpmeet and a completer for man. And to fulfill his needs, and he to fulfill hers. And let me say this to you carefully. And to the degree that you husbands and wives in this auditorium this morning are not meeting the needs of your wife emotionally, spiritually, physically, or sexually, to that same degree, you are still alone. And sometimes a wife will feel so alone in some of those areas that she'll come to me or a counselor and say, I just can't take it anymore. I've had enough. I just, I talk, he won't talk. I share, he won't share. I go places, he won't go. I invite him to do it. He won't do it. I've had enough. I had a lady sit in my office not too many weeks back, or months now, who sat right in that office and said, if I'm going to be alone, I'm going to live alone. And that lady has filed for divorce since that meeting. I'm telling you something this morning and I hope you take it to heart. There is no hope for your family. There is no hope for your marriage. There is no hope except the Lord build the house. If we don't get a hold of that, and if our young people don't grow up in that kind of atmosphere, knowing that the only hope our families have is taken from God's Word, we're going to produce another generation of failure. Now, if some of you failed as I have failed in our marriages. It doesn't say anywhere that every man's going to be perfect. None of us are, but that's no excuse for me. I get tired of people giving that little added phrase, you know, They'll say, did you do this? No, but do you know anybody else who can? That's not the issue here. The issue is I have failed my wife in many ways. But when I fail my wife and I see it as a failure to understand that and God's faithful in convicting what I have and I go to her and I ask for her forgiveness, then our relationship can constantly be reaffirmed and our relationship can be strengthened. But I'll tell you something. What it's going to take is for many of us to yield our wills to each other. Biggie, Biggie, and little her kind of mentality has got to go out the window. And we've got to understand what Paul wrote to the Ephesian church, that you're submitting yourselves one to another. If we don't get down to that, 
We're still going to produce the same kind of marriage problems in the future that we've had in the past. We will not learn a thing by our own history. Let me say it and close with this. First off, it starts with this. It all begins, it all begins with clear salvation. Clear salvation. Two people join together. The key here is that they both know Jesus Christ as Savior. Here's my question to you. If you died right where you sit, are you absolutely, unequivocally sure you'd go to heaven? Until both husband and wife are Christian people, until both of them have placed their faith in Jesus Christ and His finished work on Calvary's cross, they'll never know what a real Christian home is. But people who have done that, they know the basis and they have the foundation on which a marriage and a Christian relationship is established and which there can be a successful home. But without Christ, there's no foundation. Secondly, it continues with a husband and wife teaming up, as if it were, to make their home all that Christ wants it to be. It will take husbands and wives, mothers and fathers working together to make their home Christian. You can't just get saved and say, oh, we've got a Christian home now. You've got to work at it. You've got to incorporate God's Word into all your activities and all your behavior and all that you do. There's a third thing. It continues also by finding a church home. Because a church home ought to be the best place to encourage a Christian home. When people come to church and they hear God's Word taught and preached, it ought to encourage that family then to get on their knees before God and intercede for their families. Those of you who have children this morning that you're concerned about, you're not sure where they are, whether they're in church or not, let me tell you, if you know Christ to save you, you have a perfect pathway into the presence of God to beseech Him to save them and change them for His glory. And you ought to be interceding in their behalf. Some of you have children, small children. You better not let a day go by that you don't fall on your face before God and intercede for those children. Let me say this, and I'm not tooting my horn one iota, but I thank God every day for my dear wife and her commitment to Jesus Christ and her loyalty to our home and to our boys and the faithfulness with which she committed her life to train those boys in the things of the Lord. And I do not give as excuses as a pastor or anybody else, but I wasn't there for the boys as often as I ought to have been. And I know that. But I can thank my God in heaven that my wife was. And our support and our working together, I've seen our boys grow up to fine young men whom I respect personally. And may I say to you, that's not a fluke of nature. That's not some a happenstance kind of thing. That happens because you aimed at it. You set your heart. You set your goal. And then you besought God in heaven to make it become a reality. I mention this to you. Accept the Lord. Build a house. You're wasting your time. Take it to heart. And then act upon it. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the clear direction that the scriptures give us concerning our relationship with you and to you. And right now, as we come to the invitation of the service, and I pray, Father, that you would continue to speak to every heart here. Every man, woman, boy, and girl, I pray for the people here that have never honestly, truly confessed you as Savior and Lord and never asked you to come into their hearts to be their Savior. Right now, as we sing the invitation song, Just As I Am, Pray that they'll come down these aisles and allow someone to take a Bible and show them from the Scriptures how they can be saved. There is no hope for our homes until there is salvation in Jesus Christ. And as we invite Christ into our homes, we must first invite Him into our hearts. So right now I pray, Father, bring forth fruit from this which we've spoken, which is Your Word we believe with all of our hearts. And I pray You'll help the people of the New Life Baptist Church, our visitors and our guests, to have the kind of homes that will honor and glorify You. Those who ought to come for salvation, encourage them to come. Give them the boldness to do so. Those who ought to come for baptism, church membership, some who ought to just come and pray, and maybe some husbands and wives who ought to come and make a renewed commitment.
to their relationship to each other and to the Lord Jesus Christ and to a Christian home that you ordain they have. Whatever your desire for these folks who've heard, may they be obedient to it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me please and open your hymn book to 282 as we sing it. God has spoken to your heart. Let me urge you to come. Simply step out from where you are and walk down to the front. If you've never trusted Christ as Savior and you'd like to do that, I'll ask you this question. Why are you coming? You simply say, I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. And as you do, if you're a man, one of the men of our church will take you into a side room and show you from the Scriptures how to be saved. If it's a man and wife together, they can go together. But if it's a woman, then a lady of our church will take you to a side room and show you from the Scriptures how you can know for sure that you're a Christian. May I urge you and may I exhort you to do that. And maybe you ought to come for other reasons. Whatever they are, God will tell you. I'm not here to plan your program and your principle of what to do and when to do it. God does that. And in this service, we'll leave that to Him. So let me urge you just to be sensitive and do whatever the Lord says. As we sing 282, the first stanza, you come. to affect this society in which we live. 
will have to be effective families, Christian families. So help us to be that way. And if we have folks who are leaving today without Christ, they have not truly trusted you as Savior and Lord, I pray continue to work in their hearts and show them that you love them, that you give your life and have in your Son to die for them. I pray God work in their lives eternally. For all the time they have left on this earth, I pray continually minister to them, draw them to yourself, help them to see what life in Christ could be. Bless as we go now and meet with us again here this evening. Get honor to yourself through all that happens here. In Christ's name, amen. May God bless you. You're dismissed.